I love that song. It prepares our hearts for what God's about to do. And, and I just love being here. Um, it's so wonderful to hear our church gathered in song. Um, we've been out for a couple weeks, and I want to thank, thank God for uh, those who are here to um, step in and preach uh, as I was out. And um, thank you to John Klobuchar and Andrew Sanders for their, their work and bringing the word forward. Uh, it's been uh, at the end of last year, the beginning of this year. For me, this is, uh, this is New Year's. So you're all looking at me like, come on, man. We've been going for two weeks. What are you talking about? I know. I know. I'm catching up. Help me to catch up here. This is kind of like my uh, first Sunday back in the saddle. We had a wonderful Christmas break. We're grateful for that. We actually did two puzzles. Huh? Yeah. For all of areas to do two puzzles, that's like we had time, people. We actually were able to crank through that and have a wonderful rest. And... Um, we also had just a lot of different things with family, people being together, and we were grateful for that too. Uh, but as we, start, as we start the new year now, uh, something else that's coming up tonight, and I just want to encourage you to join us. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we're gathering in this room for one purpose, to pray. Uh, we don't want to enter this year as a church thinking somehow we can do anything apart from uh, the Lord's power, the Lord's enablement, the Lord's direction. And so together we're going we're gonna to be here at, at 6 o'clock, and I just want to encourage you to come and, and join to us as we, as we seek the Lord together and pray, uh, not only just for ourselves and the witness that we have uh, in, in the community around us, but also for the year ahead and the impact that God would have us uh, bring uh, for the gospel, for the furthering of, of God's kingdom. We've got nursery care for, for kiddos zero uh, to four, and so uh, parents, be sure to take advantage of that. And then for the older kiddos that are here, uh, this, this is a wonderful time for kids to learn how to pray. So please know this is not a silent time of prayer. Uh, kids make noises. We're good with that. And I, I even remember uh, for Janet and myself, when our kiddos were younger and we'd be at prayer things, we would switch. We'd rotate. So I'd be in for half to pray. She'd have the kiddos, and we would swap that way as well. So whatever you end up doing, parents, we, we understand you're teaching your kids. And we want to be with you in that as you uh, help them grow in that way. So um, we'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock here. So another thing, as we, as we embark upon a new year, I've got, I've got a question for you, and it's this. What's most important to you? What are you, what are you really after? And, and how, how many of the New Year's resolutions that we see this time of year are kind of based on that? And, and by the way, they aren't bad things. You know, I, physically, I want my health to be better. I'm going to do the work to, to do that. And, and maybe it's, uh, I've got some goals I want to accomplish um, educationally or, or, or maybe relationally. I've got some things I want to, I want to spend time with certain people that I haven't in the past. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's an old friend. Who knows? Um, but, 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 but I have a follow-up question in light of that first question, and that's this. You know, what's most important to you? That's the first question. The next question is, are the things most important to Jesus most important to you? Well, wait a minute. That's a harder question to answer. And, and, and I think that, that's a question that we don't often ask. I think we know what's important to us, right? We know what we're after. We know what we want to do. And, and yet, we seldom stop and go, hold on. What, what's most important to Jesus right now in my life, in this situation, in what's happening? And, uh, you know, a couple weeks back, John Klobuchar took us through this, this section where Jesus calls his disciples. And, and, and he brings them together. He brings these 12 men together. And by the way, not the kind of men you would think someone who's going to change the world would pick, okay? Lowly fishermen. He calls them, he brings them in. 
And, uh, and, and now what, what he's going to do as we continue in the Gospel of Luke is he's going to bring them to see what he's calling them to do. How he's calling them to live as his followers. And, and so as he brings his followers in, he's going to make clear, look, I, I don't want you just to do what I say. I actually want you to do what I say. I want you to follow me. I want you to obey me, disciples, because I, you, you need to want what I want. The most important things to me need to be the most important things to you if you're going to be my follower, Jesus is saying. In other words, I'm calling you to value what I value. And you think, well, wait a minute, what does what Jesus value? You know, Andrew just prayed for our offering. We were saying, Lord, we want to we evaluate what you value even as we give to you. Uh, certainly as we gather right now today, we're resting from our work and we're seeking our God together. Why? Because that's what God values. That's what he's calling us to. And so as we kind of embark upon this next section of Luke, we're going to see that Jesus is going to tell us what he values. Uh, it's, it's, it's the Sermon on the Plain. And by the way, it's not, no, it's not the plain. It's the, a flat area, okay? It's, you know, it's, not, it's, it's an area where Jesus came and he, he decided to teach. And it's similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Many of the same themes, the same principles will come up. But as he brings this, this message, he's declaring what he values. He's declaring and telling us as he ushers in God's kingdom, as he unveils his kingdom, he's saying, if you're going to follow me, yes, do what I say. But as you do so, make sure you want what I want. So I invite you to open to Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. And it's on page uh, 49 in the Bible on a chair rack in front of you. And so, again, as, as John uh, shared with us a couple weeks back, Jesus has called his disciples. He's called the 12. And, and you, might, you might say, you know, what's happened now is he's brought these, these men into ministry. And this is sort of the beginning, as one writer said, of his pastoral internship for them. All right, you guys want to see what this is about? You want to know what's going to happen now? You know what we're, we're focused on? You know what we're going to do with people? This is it. And so he's teaching them that. And it, it, because this is the word of God and we want to receive it as such and respect it in that way, would you please stand and follow along as I read? So beginning in verse 17. He's called the disciples and now the account goes on. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and who were troubled with unclean spirits, were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets... But woe to you who are rich, for you're receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. 
Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and ask that you would help us to receive your word to us today. We thank you for this sermon, this teaching. And we ask, Lord, that you would protect us from kind of just going through the motions and kind of hearing a sermon and moving on with, quote, unquote, our lives. Instead, no, we ask that our lives would be conformed to your desires for us. We pray that we would value things the way that you do. We pray that we would see and understand and grasp that the most, the most important things to you must be the most important things to us. And so we pray, Lord, that you would grace us in this time to grow and to learn and to become the men and women you want us to be for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So as we look at this passage today, we're going to see that we must pay closer attention to Christ's kingdom values for several different reasons. And when I say Christ's kingdom values, what I mean is that's what he's unfolding in this sermon. He's saying there's things that are important to me. There are things that I desire. There are things that I long for. And if you're going to follow me, don't just do what I say. Want what I want. Live for what I'm placing before you. And so in, in doing so, he, he brings out these kingdom values. And he's going to do this through the entire sermon, really. But, but we're going we're gonna to see that we need to pay much closer attention to Christ's kingdom values, first of all, because of the paradox of kingdom values. Now, what do I mean by paradox? You know, a lot of times people take the word paradox and they don't quite understand it. So let's just rest, stop for a moment and just look at that. A paradox. A paradox is not something like a statement that some of it defined it as, as, as like an untrue statement. They'll say, well, that's a paradox because it's untrue. That's not, you know, so a statement like, um, I don't know, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are America's team. <clears throat> Please. Patently untrue, right? That is just an untrue statement, okay? That's not a paradox, though, okay? Or, or, or a, a self-contradiction, a self-contradictory statement. That's not a paradox either. So, for example, when you see, this kind of cracks me up, when you see a, on, on a document, you flip it, and there's like this open white page, and at the bottom it says, this page is left intentionally blank. Well, it's not blank because you just wrote on it. <laughs> That's a self-contradiction, right? You just undone what you said it is by doing what you just did, right? So it's not a blank page. It's something that says, says, you know, there's, there's writing. You get that, right? So every time you hit that, you can be like, oh, why'd they do that? Anyway, but they do. Um, That's a, that's a contradiction, right? That cannot be true. Um, and there's other, you know, ways that we would see this, but, but, but a paradox, very, very key. It's a seemingly absurd or a seemingly self-contradictory statement. But when investigated, it's shown to be true. That's a paradox. And, uh, you know, we, we got tons of them that you've heard, you know, over the, over the years, right? So here, here's one for you. Less is more. Whoa, that's heavy. Yeah, I know. I know. But it is sometimes, right? But it shouldn't be because they're opposites. Why would that be? Here's the other one. The only constant is change. Whoa, right? Yeah, okay, it's constant change. Okay, right. Uh, here, you know, you've heard this a million times, I'm sure. You've got to spend money to make money, right? There's that. It's a paradox. 
right? It's like, it doesn't seem like a, the sand, they seem like opposites, but it's a true thing. Uh, there's, there's more recent paradoxes that we've seen in, in more recent times. Uh, there's what's called the productivity paradox, which is we keep inventing things that save us time, but we have less time than ever before. <laughs> right? And that's, that's true. And um, you know, here, here what Jesus does is he takes um, these statements, and they are all paradoxes. And, and what they do is they actually, you'll notice um, a paradox it's there as a seemingly contradictory statement, but what it's doing is it's actually inviting you to investigate it, right? By that seeming contradiction, you're like, wait a minute, that's not, wait, hold on, huh? And it invites you in, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's deliberately setting these up to make us go, huh, wait, what? Wait, I got, I should look more closely at this. What's happening here? And so we find him using these terms like blessed, and, and, and uh, that, that term blessed can mean happy, um, it really comes uh, from the Old Testament use of that term, a, a similar term in Hebrew, and it has the idea of richness and fullness. So when you look at Psalm 1, how blessed is the man, and it describes someone who, who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his, you know, his, his, his mind is saturated with the Word of God constantly, how blessed is that man? Um, that picture is how rich and full is the life of the one who... That's how we could translate that phrase. Blessed. How rich and full is the life of the one who. But, but you'll notice that Jesus then takes that concept and then brings in opposites of that. Well, at least it seems like opposites of that. And that's why it's a paradox. So, you know, the first, the first one that Jesus brings up is how rich the poor, how poor the rich. Right, you can see it there in the latter portion of verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then we see the corresponding opposite stated in verse 24. Woe to you who are rich, for you're receiving your comfort in full. Now, the idea of the woe is also is opposite to the idea of blessed. So how rich and full is the life of the one who, you could say, with blessed... The woe here, it's, it's a different word. So sometimes the word woe, we would see it kind of as the, the prophetic shotgun blast, right? Like it's sort of like, you know, you are judged. And, and that is a concept within, with certain terms for, used for woe or certain Greek terms translated for woe. But this word is different. Uh, this word has more the idea of uh, what one older uh, writer said. It's the idea of alas or how, how sorrowful. It's sort of a mourning over the condition of someone's life who's in this state. So we could say, how poor and empty is the life of the one who? That would be the idea of the woe there. But, but that's what we see here. We see, well, wait a minute. You know, so you've got how rich the poor, how poor the rich. And, and of course, people listening are going, Jesus, what are you talking about? <laughs> and again, that's his whole point. He's bringing us in. What does he mean? Now, you'll recall from Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus describes the poor, he has a qualifier to it. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so the idea there is it's not someone who's simply poor. It's someone who's got a poverty of spirit, who sees themselves as a beggar before God. And some would say, well, he doesn't say that here in this particular account, so he must not mean that. 
Well, let's time out for a second. Let's pause and let's look at the context of the passage. You know how we constantly say that? Context determines meaning. We need to look at the context. Well, the last time Jesus uses the word poor, actually, if you flip back to chapter 4 and you look at verse 18, Jesus is there in the synagogue. And he is teaching the people and he's quoting Isaiah chapter 61. And he reads from there, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, if you look back at the context of Isaiah, you look at the context of that work originally, poor had everything to do with not being uh, in God's circle of blessing, not knowing Yahweh, not walking with Yahweh. It certainly wasn't merely a physical poverty. It had much more to do with a poor, uh, poorness in spirit. And even as Jesus teaches them that and says, this is fulfilled in your hearing, he is again hearkening back to that truth that this poverty is not merely a physical poverty. Now, it doesn't exclude physical poverty either. Uh, I think when we look through the Gospel of Luke, we would see uh, that you know, if someone just was to say to Luke, hey, do you mean physically poor or spiritually poor? And Luke would go, yes. I think it includes both. But we're all, we also see if we go out to the full context of Scripture, it is not a sin to be rich per se, nor is it an inherently noble thing to be poor. Uh, the Bible tells, that, tells us that, you know, in, um, in, in 1 Timothy and other places, that the rich are not to simply, um, you know, renounce their riches. No, they are, they are to be rich toward God by being generous with what He's given them. Uh, the book of Proverbs talks about how the wealthy can be wise stewards of what God's entrusted to them and be a blessing to other people. So for those who, who are blessed with riches, we're called to be uh, ready to share. We're, we're called uh, to be mindful of what is God's priority with what he's entrusted to us. We're, we're called to see ourselves as a steward of what God's given us because we in fact are stewards of what God's given us. But here Jesus is, is, is saying, hey, wake up. If for some reason you are kind of caught up in this idea that riches are all that, you are not aware of my values. You are not operating on the same uh, priority with the same intent that I have. And if you're going to be my follower, you need to understand that and live in light of that. And we might ask for today, well, how do I know if I'm, if I'm walking in light of Jesus' beautiful paradox here? Well, I think we find a clue to that very much in, chapter, in verse 24. Notice, woe to you who are rich. Well, how do I know if I'm the rich person that, that uh, is not uh, following the Lord's values? Notice what he says, for you are receiving your comfort in full. I think that's the key. That's a litmus test for us. If I find my comfort in my bank account... I've got a problem. And my bank account might be soaring. But if that's where I find my comfort, I'm not walking in light, in line with, with Jesus' values. I am not seeing as important what he sees as important. And so he brings this forward in, in saying, don't get caught up in the values of this world. What, what's the world going to tell you? Get riches. That's what it's going to be. Why? Because power is money. And Jesus is saying, uh, riches are, earthly riches are riches, but there's a way to be actually rich, really rich, 
And it's even better to understand your poverty of spirit before me because now you see your real need. And maybe you're here today and you've never come to that place of trusting Jesus, of turning to him. The first step is seeing that all of us, everyone in this room who does know him, who's come to him, we all come to him as spiritual beggars, empty-handed. We see our need. That's how it all starts. But as, as you can see, there are many other paradoxes here. So not only are, are the rich are poor and the poor are rich, but notice he, he'll also say how full the hungry and how empty the full. Um, again, if, if, we're, if we're seeking fullness in this world and the values of this world, if we're seeking to be satisfied in that, and it could be food itself, it could be the other ways we kind of grab at things. The truth is we're going to be empty. And, uh, you know, so often I think that's what happens in our lives, right? We get kind of caught up in the, in the, in the culture that we're in. Really, we're, we're the culture of go out and grab it for yourself. That's pretty much what it is. Go get this, go get this. I was recently... Uh, Someone shared with me a, a video of a, of a well-known actor. And he's just starting to start to see the, the things of the gospel and the things about Jesus. It's kind of exciting. I, I really hope he grows. But he said one of the key differences what he understood, he was miserable. He's going, he's going I'm running around my life and I'm miserable. And I'm, and I'm just trying to get, get, get. I'm grabbing this. If I get this project, if I earn this amount of money, if I influence those people, if I kind of become prominent this way, get, 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 get. And he goes, and then I realized... Wait, Jesus is the one that came and emptied himself and gave his life for me. And in him, I have everything I need. Huh. And now I'm full. It's the opposite, right? And so how full the hungry, how empty the full. Uh, he'll go on with, with other paradoxes. How happy the weeping, how mournful the laughing. What's he talking about there? Well, in verse 21, when he says, blessed are you who weep now, he's not saying walk around and if you have any form of laughter in your life, you are a spiritual compromiser. I've known people like that, by the way. They're Christians and they're almost like, are you scowling, sad, and bitter? Then you're not a very godly Christian, obviously. And it's like, no, that's not it. But it's also an awareness that the times we live in you know, the days are evil. We're called to redeem the time. And, and this really is, is a sense of, of, of those who are um, merely laughing now. There's a triviality that they're after. They want to avoid everything serious. They don't want to have to get into the, the depth of sorrow or whatever. They want to just be distracted. Like, I, I just want to put all that over here and I just want to get caught up in the fun now. And it's just one pursuit of laughter and fun to the next, to the next, to the next. This is the person who's constantly joking. This is the person that cannot get serious with you. And there is sort of this addiction to the triviality of life and entertainment. You know, sing me a song, make me laugh, tell me a joke. But heaven forbid I actually deal with anything real or serious about the broken world we live in, or most seriously, the brokenness of my own heart before a holy God. No, it's just let them laugh, let them laugh, let them laugh. And that's what Jesus is confronting here. He's also confronting the fact that for many who are walking in Jesus, loving him, living for him, they experience from this world 
persecution and difficulty that brings sorrow. And that's what brings him to that, that final paradox. How accepted the persecuted, how rejected the popular. So we find that in verses 22 and then later in 23 also. And then it's, it's restated in 26, the contrast. But notice, this, this, he spends the most time. This section right here, this particular paradox gets the most real estate. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as eagle. Eagle, sorry, as evil. Scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Four, four descriptors there. People are going to hate you because of Jesus. People are going to ostracize you. In other words, you're not going to be included. You're not with them. You're not accepted. No, they don't want you at the lunch table at work. They're not inviting you out. They're not, they're not wanting to be with you. And then they insult you. And they scorn your name. And the idea of someone's name is really their, their person. So they, they, they reject you. Now, it's not just... The sentence doesn't end there. You'll notice it says, for the sake of the Son of Man. In other words, it's possible to receive this persecution because you're just an unkind, mean person. You can be persecuted because you're being a jerk. You can, that happens. That's not what this is. This is you're being persecuted because of your allegiance to Jesus. And, and, and there's a, there's a, notice Jesus says, blessed are you, happy are you, when people reject you. Why? He says they're here because that's how they spoke to the prophets of old. You're in good company, Jesus is saying. And there's another place where Jesus mourns. He says, oh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I'd love to gather you in like chicks, like a mother hen would gather in her chicks, but, but, but you would not have it. And before he, Jesus gives that description, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills all the prophets who were sent to her. So from God's vantage point, he sends prophet after prophet after prophet. And what do his people do? No. Uh, Jesus tells another parable of the landowner. Maybe you'll recall that one. When, when, when the landowner sends messenger after messenger, they're rejected by those who are renting out the land. And then the, the landowner says, Well, I'll send my son. Because certainly they'll respect my son. And in that parable, the, the, the tenants of the land go, wait a minute, this is his son. He's the heir. Let's kill him. In many ways, Jesus is saying to the religious leaders who are present, your rejection of me is the affirmation of my ministry before God. You've killed every prophet that's come before. And the fact that you want to kill me demonstrates that I am in fact speaking. The truth from God. So, certainly how accepted the persecuted, how rejected the popular. Again, verse 26. Woe to you if all men speak well of you. For that's how their fathers treated the false prophets. Is it really important to you that people like you? Is that the most important thing in your life? We need to think about that. 
Because if that's the most important thing we're living for, we are not living in line with Jesus' kingdom values. And if that's what we're doing, then we need to really ask the question, like, am I really following you? Well, that brings us to the next area of consideration for us. We must pay much closer attention to Christ's kingdom values, not only because of the paradox of kingdom values, but also because of the opposition of kingdom values. So these values are antithetical to that of the culture and world around us. They were in the first century. They are today as well. They always have been. And, and there's a reason for that. These values are exactly the opposite of the world's values because they're there for the purpose of pulling us away from what's real and true in Christ. That's why they're there. It's not just like a morally neutral thing where it's like, oh, people, the culture just so happens to value riches above everything. No, there's a reason for that. It's deliberate. It's to pull us away from what's real. And so if we were to think of all these things, we've got to recognize that, that, that riches promise to bring you comfort. That's what they promise to do. Riches comes along and says, that's right, I'm going to give you comfort. If you just get more of me, get more of me. You're going to have comfort. Being able to satiate ourselves with fullness of some kind, whether it be materially or otherwise, that kind of masquerades as what's going to bring us satisfaction, right? If I'm full, then I'll be satisfied. I just need more of this, 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 or this. Then I'll be satisfied. And there's a reason why the Rolling Stones wrote that tune, I can't get no satisfaction. Because they couldn't. By the way, they're still singing that song. I don't know how Mick Jagger does it, okay? But like 50 years later, he's still singing. And I try, and I try, and I try, 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 try. And he still can't get any satisfaction. But there's a reason for that. Because there's a, there's a masquerading, pretend dress-up thing that, that idols will do. And they'll say, I'm going to fill you. And they can't. You know, laughter, laughter masquerades too. That, that flat, kind of shallow, always ha, 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 ha. It masquerades as joy, but it's not. You know, when the Bible describes joy, there is, a, there is a, an upliftedness to it. There is a, a heart that's tilted toward God and grateful and content. There is a happiness to it, but it is totally compatible to have sorrow and joy in the same heart at the same time. But that sort of laughter that Jesus is, is speaking against as an indicator of where someone's heart's really at it's never going to know joy. It's just trying too hard to be happy, quote unquote. Popularity makes promises too. It promises esteem and respect and acceptance. But you know what? Popularity can never do that. You know, you think of the, the song from that musical Wicked, you know, popular. They're just popular, right? And it's, it's a funny song, actually. And I think the song, in an, an uncanny way, actually unmasks the folly of popularity. Because it's fickle. It doesn't last. It evaporates just like that. And that's why 
what Jesus promises, that true acceptance, that receiving that comes only from him. Faithful, true. But when you think about it, so the idea of comfort or satisfaction or, or, or joy or respect even or, or acceptance, those outcomes are not bad in and of themselves. But the irony is this, they will only actually come to you if you embrace the paradox of kingdom living. You're only going to know actual comfort when you recognize before the Lord your poverty of spirit. You're only going to know satisfaction when you recognize that, that the fullness that you're seeking all over the place cannot fill you. Only He can. You're only going to know joy when you recognize that you just kind of keeping yourself in an uppy, happy mood by avoiding real issues and, and just laughing all the time as opposed to dealing with the real realities of life before him and having him instill actual joy in you. If you don't embrace his paradox in that, you're never going to know it. So there's a rich and there's a full life, blessed there's a poor and empty life. Woe to you. And Jesus' point here is this. Each of those are not what you think they are. They are actually the opposite of what you think. What does that mean? Repent and embrace the reality of kingdom life. Embrace his values. There's someone I know, I was just thinking about them recently. They, they work for a really large company, and I, and I see this being lived out in their life. They love Jesus. They, they walk with the Lord. And I almost feel like every time I talk to them, they are actually trying to get fired from their job. It's like a goal. And, and by the way, this person, they are very, and they're in the hierarchy of a massive company. They're like a regional director. They've got major responsibility. And I'm thinking of one time there was, there was someone that sought, sought after this, this, uh, this guy. They, they wanted to be mentored by him. And so he tells the story. That he goes, okay, we'll get for coffee and we can talk about it. And, uh, and they're talking and, and this person says, you know, I'm coming to you because I want to learn how to lead people well. You know, I, I can see you doing that. Your team is thriving. I just want to be able to do the same thing. And he goes, okay, well, if you're going to lead people well, you've got to really know what makes them tick. You know, you've got, you've got to know what they're really after. You've got to know what, what, they, what they really seek, what they're about. And he goes, for example, what would you say I'm about? And they're like, well, you're, you're really about, um, you know, caring for people, you know, looking out for the well-being of those around you. And he's like, nah, that's not it. That's not it. Let me tell you what I'm all about. I'm all about following the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't see that about me, you don't know anything about me. I want to love him, I want to follow him, I want to honor him, and I want to do everything I possibly can to help others see that they need Jesus because we're all sinners before a holy God and he's coming back to judge someday. That's what I'm all about. And the person's like... Now, I think for many of us, we'd be like, well, there goes, you know, HR's going to get told about this and I, you know, my job's gone. Truly, this, this guy does not care. And he's a bold witness. There's a Bible study that's been started now in this massive company. And uh, there are VPs coming to it, and they're talking about the Lord. They're in the scriptures together on a weekly basis. 
And I just go, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Now, am I telling you, you've got to go out and do the exact same thing? No. But let me ask you this. In your work relationships, do people know that you're a follower of Jesus? Do they know it all? If, if your work friends came and visited our church and all of a sudden they saw you here and they went, whoa, what are you doing here? Or instead, would they be like, oh yeah, no, I, that's right. Makes sense. Figured they'd be at a place like this. If we don't embrace these values and we claim to be followers of Jesus, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I really living my life as a follower of Jesus? So we must pay much closer attention to Christ's kingdom values because of first, the, the paradox of kingdom values, secondly, the opposition of kingdom values, and lastly, the demonstration of kingdom values. What do kingdom values demonstrate? What do they show? Well, what we've just said. They show that we're actually followers of Jesus. If we embrace these values, we are in fact living out our calling as Christ followers. That's why Jesus is saying this to his disciples right now at this point in time in, in, in Luke. He's just called them together. They've just come down the mountain, as I mentioned before. Now he's like, all right. Pastoral Internship 101. Here we go. This is what it's about. You guys want to know what it's all about? How rich are the poor? How poor are the rich? How full the hungry? How empty the full? How happy the weeping? How mournful the laughing? How accepted the persecuted? How rejected the popular? How's that sound? Let's go. So the values of Jesus' kingdom show that we are rightly living as citizens of that kingdom in the here and now. Again, our citizenship is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. And so do we recognize these kingdom values? And do we understand that they are actually the opposite of natural values? They are. They're the exact opposite of natural values. Natural values say, no, get riches because you're going to get your comfort there. Fill yourself so you can be satisfied. Now, these, are, these aren't natural values. As a matter of fact, these kingdom values, they're supernatural values. They are instilled within us as we turn to Christ and walk with him, as we're filled by his spirit. And so, if you're considering New Year's resolutions... And by the way, I understand we're in the middle of January, so you've probably already ditched the ones that you had before. All right? How's this for a, for a consideration for a New Year's resolution? I'm going to grow in seeing, understanding, and living out what is most important to Jesus every day. I'm going to grow in seeing, understanding, and living out what is most important to Jesus every day. What does that look like? Well, again, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, it's turning to him and believing. It's trusting him. It's receiving his gift of grace, receiving the righteousness that comes. It's not your righteousness. It's his. 
and he takes your sin and they're cast into the depths of the sea never to be seen again. If you're a believer, you know what it is? It's continuing to repent and believe. God's the one who made your eyes. He made your ears. He wrote his word. He's the one that's giving it to you now. He's giving you the ability to receive this, to hear this. And he's the one that's working in your heart even. And so for each of us, there, there could be a different next step. You know, maybe it's, I need to give this up. I've been, I've been involved in this. This thing has become an idol to me, Lord, and I need it to be gone. Please take it away from me because this has been my comfort. A lot of our trials are that, are they not? I've found my comfort in this thing and the Lord takes it away for the purpose of going, wake up, where's your comfort found? Or maybe rather than giving something up, maybe God's calling you. Maybe, maybe your next step is, no, I, I need to, I've been talking about doing this, I've been thinking of doing this, and I haven't done it, whatever it would be. Maybe it's, maybe it's I actually am going to start that Bible study at my house for my neighbors. Maybe it's even more simple than that. I'm actually going to invite my neighbors over for dinner. We've talked about it, we're going to do it. Maybe it's, no, I'm, I'm not just going to be on the sidelines of church. I'm actually going to use the gifts God's given me to serve him. Because we know this, even as Andrew was talking about earlier, God gave us gifts for the purpose of serving him to build up the body. That means God has given you gifts for the purpose of, of serving him to build up what he's doing here at Clayton Valley Church. How are you involved in that? And if you're not at all, what does that say about your values? What do you think is important? And is what you think is important what Jesus thinks is important? And if those are not the same thing, are you actually following him well right now? You know, we talked about this before, but this idea of the sideline spectator. People, I think sometimes people choose churches for that reason. Yeah, this is a place I can just sit on the sideline and watch other people and then vicariously say, yeah, I'm serving God because everybody they are and I don't do anything. Let that not be our church. I, 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 thankfully, I'm looking out at our congregation. We don't have folks like that. I think people like that actually don't like it around here and they leave, which is fine. <laughs> But let's be those who are engaging. Maybe you're thinking, I don't have that much to give. I don't have that much. Do you know that the Lord specializes in using what's little to do mighty things? Maybe you're thinking, I'm weak. Good, you're in the right place. Do you remember when Jesus, they were, they were all, all the gifts were being brought in, in, the, in the, the temple area? And some of the Pharisees were coming with their, their coins. And of course, when they put it in the dish, you could hear it. It was, it was an audible sound. And it was like coins. You know, and they were like, look at me. And then that widow comes up. And all she has is essentially a penny. Plink. And what Jesus says is shocking. Because he says, she gave more than anybody. Because she gave all that she had to live on. Wow. Again, talk about the world's values turned upside down yet again. 
So if you think, I don't have much to give, I am not much of a fill-in-the-blank, good. Because the Lord loves using the little and the insignificant to accomplish mighty, wonderful things. Take courage in that. And step forward, trusting him. In conclusion, I just want us to consider what Paul writes in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Look at what he says. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. But note this last phrase. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. There's hope for us. We can actually learn what pleases God. We can learn about what's important to Jesus. We can learn what his values are and we can actually grow in the way we, we carry out his, his kingdom values in our daily lives. Notice also, and let's take comfort in this, when you look at how this phrase is, is, unfolds for us, it isn't learn what's pleasing to the Lord so you can become light in the Lord. No. He's saying you are light in the Lord. You are this already. Why? Because Jesus did that. He accomplished that in salvation. You are already in him. If you've come to Jesus by faith, you are saved. You're grafted in to him his life comes to you from that union that you have with him in the same way that a vine has a branch and that life-giving sap goes between those two things. In the same way, those who are united to Jesus have that same life-giving grace. So now because you have that, because you are this already, because you've been made into light, now live that out. Let's embrace kingdom values because in doing so, we are now then responding to what God is actually doing through his son, Jesus, the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, please uh, grace us to, to grow and to pay much closer attention to your kingdom values. Help us to to even continue to think about how the, the rich and full life of those who are poor in spirit before you is something that is baffling but true. Help us to see how full we are as we hunger for you. Lord, grace us to, to anticipate even on that day of your return the way in which our walking with you is something that brings about laughter, joy, and even the, the joy of your acceptance because of what Christ has done. So Lord, we, help, we ask that you would cause us to see these things and that we would grow to learn what pleases you more and more each day through this year. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.